0: My mother's cookbooks from the late 1990s sit on the shelf of her family kitchen collecting dust. The spines are tearing. We haven't picked up one in ages. The shelf really needs a makeover. But the kitchen wouldn't feel complete without them. For as long as I can remember, pulling cookbooks from shelves, at home and at the library, and flipping meticulously through the tattered and faded pages really excited me. I especially remember serving a colorful dumpling cookbook filled with colorful designs and animated pictures. So whether or not I use them every day, cookbooks are certainly a fixture in my life. In recent years, there has been a new wave of culturally thoughtful and insightful cookbooks. One of the masterminds behind this movement is Julia Tertian. Julia is a best-selling cookbook author with cookbook accolades from the New York Times, Eater, and NPR. She strives to make cooking a more inclusive conversation by running EAT, an inclusive digital directory of women and non-binary individuals in food, and she also advocates for changing racial disparities in food through cookbooks. So with that, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Julia. You're tuning in to Gouda Talks at WHRB 95.3 FM.
1: My name is Julia Tershin, um, and I am a cookbook author.
0: So I think one of the main questions I'm interested in, and I think I ask a lot of people who are into food, this is like, when did you begin getting into food or cooking?
1: For me, I guess my answer is a little funny because I I can't remember not being into food. <laughs> um, I I literally have no um, recollection of, of life without being completely... Uh, you know, into the kitchen and into cooking. um, And, and all the stories that come with that. And so yeah, I've loved food. And I've loved to cook since I was a really little kid. Um, You know, a lot of people have like stories of learning to, you know, cook at their mother's knee or, you know, their grandmother in the kitchen. And and that was not not my story. Um, I I grew up in New York City. Um, Both my parents worked full time since the day I was born. But I was, so I was less surrounded by home cooking than I actually was by, um, by media. Uh, and both my parents worked in publishing. So I was surrounded with like books and magazines all the time, um, including a lot of cookbooks. And I really just was obsessed with cookbooks. I, I looked at them before I even knew how to read. I <laughs> would just flip through them. You know, they were like my equivalent of like a bedtime story. And, you know, then I learned to read and it was like even more exciting. <laughs> and but in addition to that, because, as I mentioned, my parents were working full time. That also meant I, I had the great fortune to also be raised by my baby. Babysitter Jenny, uh, who was a really not was continues to be a really central person in my life, and we had a very close relationship, and we're still really close. Um, you know, I'm I'm far past the age where one needs a babysitter, but um, she still helps to raise me for sure. But um, I grew up with Jenny, not really cooking like every day, but Jenny was the sort of day to day kind of provider of food in our house, and. The thing that really brought me very close with Jenny is um, she is from Saint Vincent, which is a um, a small island a nation in the Caribbean. And Jenny would often um, either bring food with her from from her apartment to my family's house, or or buy food that was you know from Saint Vincent, and she would share her food with me, and that's really how we got to know each other was sort of sitting over that food and it really taught me about how food can you know bring people together who have really different like life experiences and um so I spent time in the kitchen with Jenny and then yeah basically taught myself to cook through cookbooks and and watching mostly public television
0: do you remember the first thing you cooked from a cookbook or what was your first memory of cooking
1: I yeah, there's not like one distinct memory of of a of a certain item. Um, I do remember like some of the first things I cooked. I don't know which was the first, but it definitely started with a lot of scrambled eggs. <laughs> um, I have this like really vague memory of being a really little kid in the apartment that we lived in until. I was eight. So I must have been like, I don't know, five or so. And I have this memory of just making chicken cutlets, (laughs) Um, like, you know, breaded and, you know, pan fried chicken cutlets. Um, And not alone, I think my mom was in the kitchen with me, but I remember like doing it. So I guess chicken, I guess the chicken and the egg (laughs) always comes back to that.
0: So writing this cookbook, you know, what, from your perspective, what goes, what goes into making a great recipe?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I, I'll i give you a little bit of background, which is, um, I I never went to culinary school. I studied writing in college, and I actually studied poetry, um, which is not maybe the most obvious path to be a cookbook author. But I mention it because I really, I mean, it sounds a little cheesy, but I really think of every recipe as basically a poem. Um, and I actually think they have quite a few similarities because both require you to write in a pretty economic format and to be extremely descriptive, um, you know, to give your reader a real sense of of what's happening and why it's happening. You know, you're both in both a poem and a recipe. You're trying to give as much information as you can without, like, overwhelming someone. And hopefully, you know, evoke a feeling, even if it's the feeling of just knowing when something is cooked through. So that's kind of how I go into my recipe writing, which in general can be seen as, you know, really like technical writing, like almost like writing a textbook or something, you know, writing instructions um, can be pretty dry. So that might just be my way to um, justify spending a lot of money on an education to study (laughs) writing poetry. But that's sort of the mindset I go into writing recipes with. And to me, a really good recipe is one that anticipates the the home cook's questions before they even know they have them. Um, you know, I, I was working on a cake recipe recently, and the batter, when you make the cake, just doesn't look very good. <laughs> like, it's it's not smooth. It's not, it doesn't look all that appealing. The cake turns out wonderfully. Um, but I mentioned in the in the instructions you know the batter is gonna look kind of weird <laughs> and like that's okay like that's supposed to happen keep going your cake's gonna be great um so to sort of provide that kind of assurance and anticipate those questions um and just be as clear as possible and and hopefully I guess big picture the recipe a great recipe should be something you know a lot of people feel like they really want to make <laughs> or maybe make their own version of and and you know, I spend a lot of time working on recipes and trying to get them to be um, very, very usable um, and, you know, user-friendly and, and as kind of foolproof and bulletproof as possible. But at the same time, I believe so much that recipes are really just suggestions. And, you know, I encourage um, anyone who picks up anything I've worked on and I say this in my work you know I encourage people to you know kind of draw outside of the lines and you know take the recipe as a jumping off point not as like a, a prescription um, you know so make it make it in whatever way makes you happy because that's the point
0: I'm very interested in your process of creating recipes can you tell me more about how you curate the recipes or develop them in your brainstorming stages
1: yeah, yeah. So the sort of logistics of making a recipe, um, people do it in all different ways. There's uh, a lot of people who, you know, write recipes for a living, and, and there's no one right way to do it. Um, the approach I take is that when I'm working on my own recipes, I actually write them first. A lot of people start, you know, by cooking and kind of taking notes while they're cooking, but I start on my computer and I, I type the recipe, I write it, I sort of imagine how I would make the thing. Um, and then I, I print out that page and I bring it into the kitchen and I have a red pen and I start cooking and I, and I make notes as I go. Um, you know, if I thought something would be, you know, a teaspoon of salt and that is, you know, not enough seasoning, like I'll, you know, I'll adjust that and so on and so forth. And I basically do that as many times as I need to until I feel like that recipe is, is, is solid. Um, And that can be as little as, like, once if it's something really simple, like a, you know, a salad dressing where you can kind of adjust the ratios as you're testing. Uh, And then for some baked goods and stuff I've done, like, I've tested recipes, you know, a dozen times before I feel like they're ready. So it really varies. And then I love to send my recipes to family and friends and ask them to make it. And I usually send the recipes with a list of questions, um, like, did this call for... A piece of equipment you didn't have, or could you not find an ingredient at your, at your grocery store, or something like that? You know, um, so I I send them out and I I try to get feedback from a wide group of people um, because I want my recipes to work, you know, everywhere, not just in my own kitchen where you know where I'm I'm used to you know the the random spot in my oven that gets really hot or you know something like that.
0: I know that in your cookbooks you also draw inspiration or recipes from other Chefs. And so you explained your process of like selecting your own recipe and the thought that goes behind that. But what are what is some of the process of like, you know, curating these recipes of other chefs? Like what do you look for?
1: Um, yeah, so for for Feed the Resistance, which includes recipes from um I had over twenty contributors to the book and uh some wrote some essays. So it's it's probably recipes from probably fifteen to twenty people. Um, and for the process of getting those recipes in the book was really a process of of conversation. Um, I approached all the contributors with my idea for the book and sort of what the vision was. Um, and I asked them what recipe of theirs they thought would be a good fit. Um, you know, I wasn't uh, prescriptive at all. you know I didn't approach um, you know, I'll use Jocelyn delk Adams, for example, she's she's awesome, she's in Chicago, she's written. Um, a beautiful cookbook. She's on TV all the time. Um, she's she's super cool. And, you know, I, I told her about the book. And, you know, I didn't ask her specifically for a cake recipe. I just asked her for whatever recipe she felt like felt right to her. And she came back with this beautiful recipe for this it's like a spiced um brown sugar pound cake it's so good (laughs) um it's such a like reliable recipe a lot of um people I know have made it you know all across the country. And, you know, it's, it turns out well in everyone's oven. Um, And I think it speaks to her, her recipe writing abilities. So that was sort of the process of getting those recipes was just sort of asking people what they wanted to contribute. And then um, the sort of logistics of it was, you know, I put together Feed the Resistance very quickly. And so I asked people to, um, to send in recipes that they had uh, already tested. And, I tested all the recipes one more time just to kind of make sure and did a little bit of, like, just very slight editing here and there just to make sure they were all kind of in the same format. But for the most part, everyone sent me work that was, like, really, you know, good to go. And if I had any questions, you know, I just asked them. um,
0: You make it sound super fun to write a book, but I'm also also wondering about, like, the difficulties – And, like, if you get any pushback when writing the books, too, because I imagine that's part of the process as well. Like, just being an author in general.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, there's plenty of moments in my work where I'm like, oh, my God, I want to, like, you know, rip my hair out or something. Um, But I really, I love what I do. I love working on books. It is also not for everyone. Um, I think there's like a real romantic idea of what it is of, you know, to be an author or to, or to create a book and especially a cookbook. I mean, they're so, they're fun and they're beautiful and, and they're popular for a reason. Cause you know, it's a, it's a positive, pleasurable medium and I love making them, but it is also, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of really hard and very detailed work. And it's the kind of work I really enjoy doing, but I, I definitely, you know, I don't think it's, um, yeah, I don't think it's for everyone.
0: How did you first get into cookbooks and find yourself in the space of creating cookbooks?
1: So basically, I, you know, as I, as I feel like I've been talking a lot about, I've just, you know, I've loved cookbooks forever. Um, they've meant so much to me for my whole life. I, I learned how to cook from them. I uh, felt connected to the world through them. I felt connected to a world much bigger than me. Um, You know, I saw pictures that inspired me. Um, You know, cookbooks really are like my whole life and, and how I've navigated my whole life. And, you know, I always dreamed of, of making cookbooks of making the thing that has meant so much to me. And As I have had more and more experience doing that, I mean, it's really, you know, the only job I've really ever had is working on cookbooks. Um, The more experience I've had doing it, the more I've realized that that feeling of connection that I had with cookbooks at a young age, that feeling of getting to publish my work and getting to put my voice out there and and have it be heard. um, These experiences I've had the more i have them the more i realize that not everyone gets to have them being in um in the food industry which is you know a very big umbrella term that encompasses a lot of industries uh you know cookbook publishing being one of them um you know the food industry the cookbook industry are they're both like many other things in this world they're you know dominated by you know straight white men uh you know to be perfectly honest and I think when the sort of people at the top of the food chain, you know the people making the decisions the you know the big editors, the big publishers, and stuff like that when when everyone uh, has had kind of a similar background, um, I think there 's a lot of repercussions, including a lot of people' stories don 't get told and their voices don 't get heard, um, but also the you know the work starts to feel really similar. <laughs> um, and what's so cool and amazing about food is that it's the, you know, the thing everyone in the world has in common and everyone in the world has a story and food is such a great way to tell those stories. So a lot of my um, work now is is really centered on kind of decentering centering uh, myself and, and doing whatever I can to help other people have the kind of experiences I've been really fortunate to have as a cookbook author and and to uh, forge those kind of connections whether it's you know being an author or being a reader or being both and you know in my own work it's it's why I am very very intentional about bringing so much of my personal life to my work and I speak in in my cookbooks and my recipes very openly and regularly about um being like a very out and proud gay woman and I speak a lot about my wife um and that is, you know, not just because I love her and I think she's awesome, which is true, um, but it's also because it means a lot to me to have access to a medium like a cookbook, which is something that, you know, people bring into their homes and, you know, share with their families and give us gifts and, you know, make recipes for their, you know, holidays from and stuff like that. Like it's a really intimate personal thing and, and getting the opportunity to really normalize, you know, my marriage, my same sex marriage in that format feels really powerful. And I've uh, been lucky to do some, uh, you know, traveling for my work, you know, go on book tour and that kind of thing. And no matter where I go, there's always like at least one young woman who will say something to me about, you know, what it means to her to see the word wife written so many times by another woman. And that to me feels like the most important part of my work and it has nothing to do with recipes or you know pretty photos or anything like that um so
0: I'm just wondering like this this drive um what is the best advice you've ever received
1: I mean the best advice I've ever received I've received a lot of really good advice from a lot of people but I think in terms of um of uh, when it comes to my work and um you know, this kind of idea of trying to, um, you know, focus on, on visibility and representation and inclusivity, you know, all those good things. Uh, two pieces of advice come to mind. Um, and one is from my mother, um, who is, uh, a real character in her own right and very accomplished, uh, and has had a really interesting career and, uh, just, you know, she's my mom, and I admire her as much as I love her. And she once told me quite a few years ago, that um, it's okay not to be quiet. And that is something that's always really stayed with me. And so I feel like, whether it's speaking up for myself or for other people, um, that is something I try and remember that it's okay to not be quiet. And the other piece of advice, which is sort of the opposite, but I think it's also uh, they go hand in hand is honestly like, and this is something my wife and I talk about a lot and something I've really learned from her. And so, yeah, I would say Grace's advice is is to just be a really good listener and just to listen Um and I sort of hold those two pieces of advice, even though they're kind of complete opposites, I I hold them at the same time. And I think it's, it's powerful to do that. Because I think the more you listen, I think the more you know, when to speak up. So
0: our mediums, I believe to learn about this stuff. And one of them is like buying a cookbook, but you also like, have your voice in like publications, and then also through running a database. And so I'm also very curious. What do you see to be the to be the most effective for getting your voice heard?
1: I will definitely give a plug to Eat, which is Equity at the Table, um, and it's Equity at the and it's the it's the digital directory I started. Um, it started in April, and um, I have a, a tremendous advisory board who's been really helpful in, you know, helping me usher it out there and. Equity at the Table is a really simple, straightforward database of um, women and non-binary individuals and in food. And um, it focuses primarily on on people of color and the queer community. And it sort of puts the voices that have been kind of most marginalized kind of at the center. And you can search by, by profession or location or identification. Um, and it's a really helpful resource f- for so many people in different ways. And, you know, not only for you know editors or conference organizers or you know people in positions of, of power who can who can hire people or feature them it's also a great resource for everyone on the site to just get to know each other um you know to see someone who looks like you doing work you know maybe you haven't thought about or maybe you're really interested in um you know it's a place where we can all find each other um which i think is is a really valuable resource and And uh, we have an Instagram feed where we kind of highlight people, you know, who are members. So that's another way to kind of get in touch and follow along. Um, So I think that's a really helpful resource. I think other um, resources for sort of getting into the space of food and activism there's a few other websites. Civil Eats I think is a really excellent website that's telling really good stories, um, with a lot of kind of journalistic integrity. Um, I look to them a lot, uh, to see what they're um what they're talking about and, and promoting. Actually I, I live outside of New York City and so this might be very New York centric, but um, Hunter College in New York has a food policy center. And I subscribe to their mailing list. And it basically means like, I guess it's like once a week, I get a bunch of links to amazing stories happening kind of in the sort of intersection of food and activism. I would also suggest following basically every person who contributed to Feed the Resistance. Um, The contributors to the book, are a tremendous group of people. It's a really inspiring community and everyone in it is doing really different, um, but really beautiful work that's like making a difference. And, uh, and so I, you know, at the back of the book, there's pictures of everyone, um, and their names and where they are and, you know, find them on social media and follow them and see what they're doing or, you know, support their work in whatever way you can, you know, that could be showing up to an event or you know, whatever it might be. And I have learned so much from being in community with everyone in that book. So I think following along is is a great way to kind of get involved and see examples of different work that's going on. And, you know, maybe it's work you can, uh, you know, work on with them or, or be inspired by and do your own thing.